But hey, when I was uh, in high school, uh, junior high, uh, junior year and senior year, I was a counselor at a camp in Boone, North Carolina. Anybody heard of Boone, North Carolina? It's a little area Roger has. Yeah, it's up there in the Appalachian uh, Mountains area. And um, great thing, was counselor there for two years uh, during the summer. Loved it. We, we did all sorts of things. Uh, believe it or not, I actually taught rappelling a little bit. I uh, got in trouble a few times for diving off the mountain head first. Uh, they call that Australian rappelling, and we got called into the office for that. But it's okay. Um, but we had a lot of fun, taught rappelling. Uh, we, did, we had tubing, a lot of uh, water there. So we did tubing, uh, which was a lot of fun. And uh, one of the things, though, being in the mountains there, what I looked forward to on Tuesday night was capture the flag. So, of course, every week when you're camp, you do the same thing every week. And um, so Tuesday night was capture the flag. And, man, we were gunned for capture the flag. I had full camo gear, camo pants, jacket, painted the face, you know, and because the, the thing was we had the flag on both ends of the camp, and of course your goal was to capture the flag, right? And so, man, we were out in the woods, and we were, you know, laying in wait, just waiting for that moment. That person just got distracted. You could run in and grab that flag, and, and you know, it, we were kind of at war, you know, we had to win every week. We had a reputation there, counselors against the kids and, and all sorts of things like that. And, and again, just reminds me, I've always enjoyed doing those things. When I was a kid, right uh, behind our house was a woods, a perfect place. The neighborhood boys, I mean, as I told you, we had our bicycle track back there. We had our little huts back there. And we did a lot of war games back there. And it was a lot of fun and, and chasing people and hiding out and things like that. And, and, and it, it was, there's just something about, I guess, especially for a guy, Although I'm seeing increasingly pictures of women now going into the army and having the guns and all those things and, and things like that. And, and there's something about defending. There's something about fighting for your cause. And you know, as a country, as I said last week, we're in a war right now with Afghanistan. We've been over there forever with 2001 and we tend to forget about that. But we are in a war, but we forget about it. But the reality is too... As brothers and sisters in Christ, if you're a Christ follower, uh, we are all in a war. And the moment you became a Christ follower, you signed up for God's army. And, and, and the reality is the enemy's on the attack. And again, one of the, one of the things that I think is a horrible aberration in American Christianity is this belief that if you come to Jesus, everything's going to be great. You know, and if you'll just pray to Jesus, he, he wants you to be healthy and wealthy and all those things. And I, I, the Bible teaches the opposite of that. When you come to Jesus, you're signing up for war. And, and, and the battle's going to be intense at times. Now, does God want the best for his children? Yes. Is God against people being wealthy and healthy? No. But again, we have this idea that if I'm really a follower of Jesus, then life's going to be wonderful. But the reality is, no, you signed up for war, and there's going to be a battle. But again, one of the enemy's biggest things is he wants to lull us into contemplation, he, uh, complacency. He wants us to forget that we are in a war. He wants us to believe that if, if things in life are going difficult, if we're having struggles with sin, that somehow, you know, we're just a failure and, and, and things like that because how dare you do it? And again, Paul reminds us in Ephesians. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to go back to Ephesians. We're going to look at the armor again. And I know you've heard about the armor of God. If you grew up in church, you probably saw all the flannel graphs, you know, and they'd put the little armor on and stuff like that. But again, sometimes we don't really think about the armor that much. And, and again, because we're at war, Paul says, put on the full armor of God. This is in verse 11. Put on the full armor of God. Here's why. 
so that you can stand against the tactics of the devil. Now again, I'm not going to rehash all this except say this is God's armor. God gives you the armor because we're in a spiritual war. We have to put it on, okay? You can't walk out of the house without putting on the full armor of God or you're going to be ripe for major attack and failure. We have to put on the whole armor of God. So again, the big point that I've been hammering for the last two weeks, I'm going to hammer it again this week, is to win spiritual battles, you and I have to put on the full armor of God. Now, again, not to totally re-preach these last two sermons, but just to recap, he talks about having that belt of truth. And again, why do we have to have the belt of truth? Because Satan is the father of lies. <laughs> He's a liar. That's what he is. That's what he does. And, and Jesus says, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. But Satan wants to bind us up in his lies. Because if you don't know the truth, you're going to be in bondage. And so many Christians, and all of us, if you're honest, have probably been at times in our life when we found ourselves in bondage to sin because we bought into a lie. And that's what Satan does. And so we've got to wear that belt of truth. We've got to be armed with God's truth. We do that by knowing God's word, by reading God's word, by practicing God's word, applying God's word, and things like that. Then the, last, the other thing we looked at is you need to have righteousness on your chest. The old King James calls it that breastplate of righteousness. And again, that breastplate <clears throat> covers the lungs like it did on a soldier. And so again, here's the concept here behind this. The lungs are where we breathe things into our body. We breathe air into our body. If we breathe in the lies of the world, through, uh, and we're going to breathe those things out. And again, Satan works through a lot of things. He works through the political system. He works through the education system. He works through the religious system. Satan works in the arts. Okay, my wife and I were talking the other day. I'm really excited that there's some good, solid Christian faith-based movies coming out today that are coming into the theaters, and you don't have to sit there and say, oh my goodness, it's a Christian movie, okay, because they're really well done, because there used to be Christian movies that were really poorly done, all right, they were so hokey, and it kind of angers me, because for a long time, Christians were like, how dare you go to get involved in Hollywood, well, look, if you're going to hand it over to Satan, he's going to run with it, I'm glad Christians are trying to go in there and reclaim some territory here, and get the message of the truth out and those are some good movies. But again, it, we breathe in those things through the media, through, through, through music, through books, through the internet. And again, Satan's that father of lies. And you and I can't expect to breathe in those lies and not breathe them out. And, and again, if you're going to breathe in that trash, you're going to breathe it out. And it's going to come out in how you talk. It's going to come out in how you act. It's going to come out in how you think and things like that. It's going to be exhaled in your life. You cannot compartmentalize. We try to believe that. You know, we've been told years ago, you know, well, you, you can compartmentalize. No, you can't. You cannot compartmentalize. What you breathe in, what you take into your mind, so to speak, is what you're going to breathe out in some way. So you've got to have that breastplate, that righteousness. You've got to filter that through, is this right? Is this, is this holy, what I'm listening to, what I'm thinking about, what I'm doing? And again, that breastplate also covers the heart. And as I told you last week, the heart is why you say the things you do, why you think the things you think, and why you feel the way you do. The heart is the real you. And again, if you and I don't have that breastplate of righteousness, if we're not filtering things through God's righteousness, we're going to say unrighteous things, ungodly things. We're going to think unrighteous, ungodly things. We're going to feel in unrighteous, holy ways. Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart because it is the wellspring of life. We've got to guard our hearts constantly. And again, in this, 
<coughs> excuse me, in this day of the internet, it is so out there. And it's right in your face constantly. So again, we have to guard their heart. And a lot of Christians, their lives have been destroyed because they haven't been guarding their heart. They haven't been guarding what they bring into their minds. All of us, if we look back, will look back in times of regret because we bought into a lie. We didn't filter it through God's truth. We didn't, we didn't filter it through God's righteousness. We brought those things into our mind. We brought those things into our heart. We breathed them out. We acted them out, and they affected us in a very negative way. And then last week, we also looked at verse 15. Paul said, have your feet uh, sandaled with the gospel of peace. Have, have that readiness for the gospel of peace. And again, my whole point and what I believe Paul's saying is you and I have to stand firm in the gospel. Jesus is the only way. The gospel is we're all sinners. <clears throat> we need to repent of our sin. Christ died for our sins. We have to personally respond to him and invite him into our hearts. That's the good news. That is the gospel. The bad news is if you don't have Christ, we are going to undergo God's wrath and face an eternity in hell. That's not God's desire. That's not God's plan. But again, that's the truth. And so again, as a church, and in our culture today, it concerns me because so many churches are moving away from the gospel. They're saying Jesus is a way. Or, well, as long as you believe sincerely, you'll, you'll, be, you'll, you'll be okay. God will be like, hey, you sincerely believed what you believed, and so you're going you're gonna to get to heaven. Well, listen, sincerity has nothing to do with it. I can sincerely believe I can fly and jump off a skyscraper in downtown Indiana. But you know what? I will sincerely be dead. Okay? Sincerity has nothing to do with it. Dedication. It is, have you repented of your sin? And said, I believe Jesus is the only way. He is the only way, the only truth, the only life. And again, a lot of people say, well, that's so exclusive. Well, I'm just glad there is a way. I don't know about you, but I'm glad there is a way. Because God didn't have to give us any way. So again, Paul says, part of that spiritual armor, you've got to have the truth of God. Because Satan lies. The things you hear, you need to filter through God's righteousness. The things you take into your lungs, so to speak. The things you let get implanted in your heart. Are they, are they uh, in line with God's righteousness, God's holiness? You need to stand firm on the gospel. The bad news is we're all sinners. We need a Savior. The good news is there is a Savior. His name is Jesus Christ. We cannot compromise on that. Again, to win spiritual battles, <clears throat> we have to put on the whole armor of God. Now, every day, when you and I get up, we put on our clothes. At least I hope so, right? All right, we put on our clothes. Uh, we've probably put on some sort of a belt or something like that, or maybe you have those elastic pants, but naturally holds things up there, so that's kind of your belt. You know, we put on our top, we put on our pants and things like that. We put on our shoes. So these things that Paul's been talking about really should be just everyday things. Should every day walk out with truth. Every day you should have that righteousness of God that you filter everything through. Every day you and I should be willing to share the gospel of peace. We must do those things. Those are basic elements, but... When a soldier gets ready to go in battle, they not only have the basics, but they also have more. And there's more that we need in this spiritual warfare. So let's pick it up today at verse 16. Here's what Paul says. In every situation, not some situations, but in every situation, take the shield of faith. And with it, you'll be able to extinguish the arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, if you look, you'll see, take, 
You'll see it at least twice we're to take those things. And then the third time it's implied that we're to take the sword of the Spirit. So when you and I take something, do we do it intentionally or unintentionally? Intentionally, right? If you tell your kid, don't take a cookie, and they take a cookie, they're going to get punished. Why? Because they intentionally disobeyed, right? They intentionally took the, the, the cookie and things. If you say, we're going to take a trip, you do that intentionally, all right? So Paul says, I want you to intentionally take these things, all right? In every situation, notice how he starts off too. In every situation, not just some situations, but in every situation. Now the implication is here that you could temporarily lay down the shield and the sword and the helmet and take them up. But you don't need to be doing that. You need to make sure that you always have those things taken up for you. All right, You need to make sure that you're ready. In every situation, you need to have these things close at hand. These are the first things you do. So here's what he says in verse 16. In every situation, you've got to intentionally take the shield of faith, and with it you'll be able to extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Now, again, Paul was looking at Roman soldiers, and he was looking at kind of how they were, how they dressed. And in that, ba in that day, Roman soldiers had these these big shields, and they were huge, these like four-cornered shields, and they kind of looked like a door. I don't know if you've ever watched the, the movies, you know, the gladiators and stuff, and, and they kind of look like they're walk, like walking in with a door and things like that. And they were made with wood, and then they were overlaid with linen and leather, and they were about two and a half feet wide, and they were about four feet long. So that's a pretty good-sized shield, okay? And so that's what they would walk in. And in addition, <clears throat> because they had the linen and leather, these shields were designed to be able to be soaked with water and to retain that water. Why? Flaming arrows. All right? The enemy wanted to do that. Again, so in Paul's day, <clears throat> the way the enemy fought was with arrows. That was their long-range thing. Nowadays we have guns, but that wasn't in Paul's day. So the way the enemy back then fought was with arrows. And so you've probably seen the movies where they're getting ready to lay siege to like this big fortress. And all of a sudden you see all these arrows come flying over. You've seen that if you've seen Lord of the Rings or whatever. And all these thousands of arrows come flying over. What do the soldiers do? Do they just stand out there, hit me? No, what do they do? They grab their shields, right? And not only that, but they usually fasten themselves together. And they kind of create this wall. And they're underneath the shield and things like that. And again, the, these are flaming arrows, but because their shields have water retained in them, their shields are able to extinguish out the arrows when they hit. So, so Paul says, look, <clears throat> you need to make sure every day when you walk out, okay, you put on the belt, you put on the helmet, you put on those things, but you need to make sure that you intentionally grab that shield of faith. Why? Because the enemy wants to destroy you. He does. The enemy wants to destroy your home. He wants to destroy your family. He wants to destroy your testimony. He wants to destroy our churches. And again, your defense, Paul says, is faith. That's your shield. Your shield is a shield of faith. See, see Satan says things like this. Well, you can't depend upon God. Shield of faith. I can trust God. I have faith that I can trust God. He will meet my needs. Satan says things like this. You deserve more money, more recognition. Shield of faith. I trust God will reward me as he sees fit. 
I will let him worry about that. Satan says, you're no good. God cannot use you. Faith. I have faith that God can use me despite my failures in the past. Shield of faith. Satan says this. You will always be stuck in your sin. Shield of faith. I believe that through the power of Christ, I can overcome sin because I'm no longer a slave to sin. Faith. Shield of faith. Using that shield of faith means that you don't rely on yourself anymore. Using that shield of faith means you don't rely on your strength. Using that shield of faith means that you stop thinking you can solve the problems because you can't solve the problems. The shield of faith says, God can do this. I believe, and I'm going to get on my knees, and I'm going to pray. I'm going to submit to God's will. I'm going to look to God for help and protection. I'm going to claim God's promises. That's my shield of faith. But you have to take it up because it's so easy for us to walk by sight, right? We walk by sight. That's just our natural inclination. So we have to, on purpose, intentionally, in every situation, pick up that shield of faith. And let me tell you something. It's easy to have faith when life's going great. Oh, I just love Jesus. Cars are paid for. Got a lot of food on the table. Everything's great. It's easy to have faith in. It, it, it's easy to have faith when all the kids are so good. They're all making good decisions. I'm so happy for, for my children. It, it's so easy to have faith when the bank account's looking good. Thank the Lord. Got a good bank account. I'll tell you something else. It's another thing to have faith when you're not sure if you're going to be able to pay the bills next week. It's another thing to have faith when your health is deteriorating. It's another thing to have faith when life seems to be falling apart. That's when the test of faith really, really comes. That's when Satan is firing too. Pew, pew, pew. When things are falling apart, that's when he's firing those, those arrows. And that's when you've got to pick up that faith and say, I don't understand it, God. I don't know how you're going to provide. I don't know what you're going to do. But I have faith. I trust you to do it. Now, and here's the thing. Paul says in every situation, you've got to take it up. Let me give you some ways you know when you've dropped the shield of faith. If you've stopped praying, I'm mad at God. I'm not going to pray anymore. You've dropped the shield of faith. If you're living in defeat, you've dropped the shield of faith. If you're getting depressed over circumstances, you've dropped the shield of faith. If you're not trusting God, you've dropped the shield of faith. If you're not giving to the Lord's work, you've dropped the shield of faith. If you're living in anxiety, you've dropped the shield of faith. Picking up that shield of faith means that you fight doubt with trust in God's provision. Picking up that shield of faith means that you fight doubt by trusting in God's goodness. Picking up that shield of faith means that you fight fear with hope. Picking up that shield of faith means that you fight anxiety by allowing the peace of Christ to rule in your heart and life. Remember, Peter said, cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. So Paul says you've got to pick up that shield of faith. And that means you have the attitude that Paul had in 2 Corinthians 5, 7. He says this, for we walk by faith, not by sight. And, and might I remind you, believers, walking by faith, faith is not built on the absence of evidence. It is built on evidence. I believe there's a God because I see the evidence for God. I believe that God will provide because I've seen the evidence of God providing. 
Faith is not just a, oh, I hope so, maybe we'll, you know, pie in the sky. No, it is built on evidence. But it does require, though, sometimes stepping out. I don't exactly see how it's going to work. I don't know what God's going to do. I don't know how he's going to provide. But I believe that's picking up the shield of faith. It requires dying to your doubts. It requires dying to your fears. It requires trusting God with all your heart. It requires reminding yourself how God has worked in the past. It requires reminding yourself how God has provided in the past. And remember, the Roman soldiers, that shield was like a door, right? If you remember that, I mean, it's like walking in with the door. And so when those arrows would come, as I said earlier, they would all get together in a group and, and they would basically form this wall where those arrows were hit and they couldn't get through and, and, and hurt the soldiers. Let me say this. This is why church is important. Church is important because we need each other. We need to lean on each other. We need to bear one another's burdens. We need, to, we need to help each other. And you know, you may come to church on Sunday morning thinking, oh my goodness, I just don't know if I can go on. And somebody puts their arm around and says, how you doing? And you say, yeah, life's really tough. And they say, let me pray with you today. Sometimes you just need that. Or sometimes it's just the act of serving others will remind you that, hey, you know what? I am, am being a part. God is using me in some way. We need to band together. The Bible knows nothing of Lone Range Christians. In fact, you show me a lone-range Christian, and I'll show you a Christian who is growing cold. Because you need the shield of faith. We need to hear how God has blessed other believers. We need to hear how God has provided in their lives. We need to encourage each other to take up that shield of faith because Satan doesn't want us to do it. So again, Paul says, take up in every situation the shield of faith so that you can stand, there's that word, stand against the fiery darts of Satan. Encourage one another challenge each other, share each other to walk in faith. So again, to win the spiritual battles, you got to put on the full armor of God. To win the spiritual battles, you got to put on the full armor of God. Let me give you another thing, one other thing to take up this morning. One last thing. Part of verse 17. Take up, so not only the shield of faith, but also take up the helmet of salvation. So again, we're told to take up the helmet of salvation. You know, when I uh, first served a full-time church, it was actually not too far from here down there at Franklin Road Baptist Church, first church I served full-time, and I had a motorcycle. Now, my mom really didn't appreciate that, but I had a nice uh, Suzuki 550 with the wind jammer. I was young, you know, no no kids, newly married, cool, and uh, I remember riding that bike uh, here, I, I'd ride it up down the road here and, and ride it up to Pendleton and stuff to see my, my aunt and uncle and things like that. And I enjoyed riding my motorcycle. Now, one thing I really liked about riding a motorcycle in Indiana is that you don't have to wear a what? A helmet. And I remember, I think it was in the 70s, I was visiting my grandmother, and I remember the, the debate was raging in Indiana over this helmet thing. And I'll have to tell you, I really don't like to wear helmets on a motorcycle because they're hot. And it's so nice to have that breeze blowing through your long, ever-thinning hair. And, and it, it's, it's nice to just, you know, you got that helmet on. I, I don't know if Roger, I'm sure he wears a helmet on ATV, and I know he does a lot of that stuff. But I don't like to have that helmet on, okay? But, boy, you're so glad you got it on when you have, to re- have a wreck, right? Because a lot of brain injuries and traumas and things like that. You need that helmet, you really do need the helmet. You know, if you're going to ride a motorcycle, you need to have a helmet. Why? Because a helmet protects your head, right? If you fall, 
you need that protection, that barrier there, because that helmet really protects your head. You know, Roman soldiers, again, Paul's looking at them. The Roman soldiers wore helmets, and they're usually made of leather with plates of metal at the temple and the forehead. So they had plates of metal ingrained in the leather here and also on the side. And again, that helped them for the blows and the hand-to-hand combat and falls if they fell off the horses and things like that. Because let me tell you something. The optimum target, it's the hardest target, but the optimum target is the head, right? I mean, you know, if you're in a gunfight, you certainly, if you shoot them in the head, they're going to be dead. You shoot them in the chest, they may live. Now, most of the time they say aim for mass because it's easier, it's harder to hit the head. But the head is the optimum target. When I was in martial arts, the head was worth double points, so if you could kick somebody in the head, then you got double points in your sparring match. And there was this little, well, not twerp, but he was this kid. And I say, he was pretty good at kicking you in the head. All right, he kicked me in the head more than once or twice in that thing. But I kicked him in the head a few times too. But hey, it was legal. We were in sparring things. But you know, you need that. When I became a black belt, a lot of times as black belts, we didn't wear sparring gear. So we were out there without sparring gear. Now you get kicked in the head without something on, it'll ring your bell. Big time, okay? There were a few times I got kicked in the head, and I was like, whoa, I need to probably stop. That's probably why I don't do it anymore. The head is the optimum target. It is the place where Satan goes for you. And so here's the thing. He says, take on the helmet of salvation. I just want to remind you some things, Christ followers, this morning. Because Satan goes for, your brain, goes for your mind. And so if you're a Christ follower this morning... I just want to remind you of a few things, and this is why you need to take up the helmet of salvation. If you want to write them down, you can, but let me tell you about your salvation. First of all, you're chosen by God. God chose you before you were born. God chose you knowing the sins you would commit. God chose you knowing the sins you will commit. God chose you. Now, that doesn't give you an excuse to commit sin, but he chose you. Based on his foreknowledge. How all that works, I don't get it. I don't completely understand it. All I know is I'm chosen. God chose you. Number two, you, Christ follower, your salvation means you are kept by God. God chose you and God will keep you. You didn't earn your salvation. You you didn't become a believer because you were a good enough person. You became a believer because you responded to Christ's conviction and God chose you and it's purely his work. So you, you, you're, you are secure in your salvation. Like I say, if you are saved, you are always saved. If you are saved, you are always saved. Jesus said, I'm in the Father's hand and the Father in his hand. And the Holy Spirit, we also know, and seals you. You are triple protected. You are sealed. Jesus said, nothing can snatch you out of my hand. Here's another thing you need to remember. You... Christian, your salvation means you're declared righteous by God. God looks at you and he sees you through the blood of Christ and he says, there is a righteous person. He has declared you righteous. And he's the one that does it, not you. So you're chosen by God. You're declared righteous by God. You are kept by God. This is all that helmet of salvation. You and I need to remember these things because Satan wants to put doubt in your mind. Maybe you've lost your salvation. Maybe you've committed one too many sins. Maybe God doesn't love you anymore. You need to remember your salvation. 
No, Satan, I remember that day. I remember the day I responded to Christ's conviction and I asked him to be my Savior. I repented of my sin. He is my Savior. I am kept by him. I am chosen by him. I am declared righteous by him. Leave me alone. Put on that helmet of salvation. Let me tell you another thing. Your name is written in the book of life. Your name's written in the book of life. Let me tell you another thing. You've been adopted into God's family. This is that helmet of salvation. You need to know that. I am adopted into God's family. I can legitimately call God Father. I can legitimately call him Father. I have access to the throne of God through the blood of Christ. The Holy Spirit intercedes for me on my behalf when I don't know how to pray. Jesus is my advocate. I am a child of God. I've been adopted into his family, and God's the one that adopted me. I didn't push my way in. I couldn't do it. He did it. Here's another thing you need to remember about your salvation. Sin is not your master. So this is a big one right here. Satan likes to say, well, you just can't help it. You're just a sinner. You know, you just, you just got those inclinations and urges. You just can't stop it. No. Sin is not my master. Sin is not my master. Jesus is my master. I have the power to say no to sin. I have the power to walk away from that. If, you, if you're a Christ follower and, 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 and if you're watching on the internet or listening and you feel enslaved by sin and you say, but I know I'm a Christ follower, I, but I feel so enslaved by sin, it's only because you have voluntarily allowed yourself to be handcuffed. You can walk out through the power of Christ. Sin is not your master. Remember that. Let me give you another thing to remember about that helmet of salvation. You are a saint. You are a saint. I know a lot of times we say, well, I'm just a sinner. No. The Bible refers to believers as saints. Now, you're a saint who sometimes may sin, but you're a saint you're a saint. The Bible says if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Listen, you, you're a saint. Now, you may sin, and you may be a saint who sometimes sins, but you're not a sinner who's trying to be a saint. You're a saint who may sometimes sin, but you're not a sinner who's trying to be a saint because God is the one who declared you as a saint. It's not something you can achieve. Here's another thing to remember, helmet of salvation. You're a new creation. The old person has passed away. The new has come. Here's another thing to remember about that helmet of salvation. You're a citizen of heaven. This is not your home. This is not your place. This is temporary for all of us. It just amazes me so many times as Christians, we get so hung up on what color carpet we're going to have in whatever room in the building. Who cares? The building's going to be gone in 50 years or 100 years. Who cares, really? We get more wound up about that than people dying and going to hell. Here's another thing to remember. You're a priest. Like, really? Yes, you're a priest. You, as a believer, your salvation gives you the ability to intercede on behalf of other people. You can pray for other people. You have the, the ability to go to the throne of God. You are called to be salt and light. You are a priest. Here's another thing. You have the Holy Spirit inside of you, and he gives you that ability to bear fruit. You don't have to produce fruit. You bear fruit as you're grafted into the vine. Allow the Holy Spirit live through you. You have the Holy Spirit in, in you, and the Holy Spirit will 
exhibit that fruit of the Spirit through you, if you will allow Him. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness. Against such things there is no law. Here's another thing to remember that helmet of salvation. You have not only the Holy Spirit, but Christ in you, as Paul said, the hope of glory. Here's another thing, helmet of salvation. You have a glorified body waiting on you. Amen? I'm excited about that one. All right? The older I get, the more creaks I'm starting to feel, and the more pains... I don't know, anybody that really wants to stay on this earth and live forever, I, they seriously, well, I just know what the problem is. They don't know Jesus. I got a glorified body waiting on me, and I can't wait, all right, because I can eat all the chocolate I want. I'm not going to gain any weight. I, I know, I, you know, it's going to be incredible. But you, th- this is part of your salvation. You have a new body waiting on you. Here's another thing. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Listen to all those things you are. A priest, a saint, a temple Holy Spirit, a new creation. Sin is not your master. On and on and on. Chosen by God, called by God, adopted into God's family. All those things you are, you need to know that. That's the helmet of salvation. And when Satan comes after you and says, you're just no good. You're a failure. You can't blah, blah, blah. Say, no, this is who I am. This is who I am in Christ you got to wear the helmet of salvation. Stop living in defeat, fear, and anxiety. Stop living as a voluntary slave to sin. Stop making excuses. Stop living in fear of the future. Stop focusing on the here and now. Again, Paul says, if anyone's in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. That helmet of salvation is your protection. It's your assurance of victory. It's your assurance of security. Again, one of Satan's biggest targets is he goes for your mind. And that's why you've got to have the helmet of salvation. That's why you've got to take out that shield of faith. Those things you breathe in. Breathe in through God's righteousness. Guard your heart. It's the wellspring of life. Make sure that you have that truth on because Satan is a liar. So here's my question. To win spiritual battles, put on the full armor of God. Are you wearing the armor? I'm going to challenge you this week, as you watch the news, as you read stuff or whatever, are you filtering it through God's truth? The things that you're taking in, are you filtering in those things that are right with God? When Satan plants those doubts and those things in your mind, are you fighting back with that shield of faith? Are are, are you fighting back with the sword of the Spirit, which we'll talk about next week? Those two things are offensive things. Are you fighting back knowing and telling him, this is what I am, this is who I am in Christ? Are you keeping those things front and center? This is a spiritual war. It has physical implications, but it's a spiritual war. God's given you the armor. Are you wearing it? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I know when we talk about things that uh, are spiritual in nature, sometimes it's because those of us who are tactile sometimes can't touch and feel it. We just have a hard time grasping it. But I pray, Lord, that I've made it clear this morning what that helmet of salvation looks like, what having that shield of faith looks like. And I pray, as followers of Jesus Christ, that every day we'll take up the full armor of God so that we can resist and we can stand firm for you. Father, we are in a spiritual war. Help us to be strong, to be strong in you, Father, because you are the one who gives us the victory. 
And it's in your name we pray. Amen.